Well, hey, good morning. How do you, how you guys doing, Seacoast? Y'all doing well? All right. I want to welcome you here at Seacoast Long Point campus as well as all of our campuses and on the internet. How many of you would rather be in church than Death Valley last night, any day? That Yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, we're glad that you're here. It's going to be a great, great weekend. Uh, we are concluding our series called Finding and Keeping the Love of Your Life. Uh, many of you may, may be wondering, where's Greg? I mean, we're doing a Q&A. Shouldn't Greg be here? He should be here, but here's the deal. Normally, Greg is at like ARC doing a, pre- preaching for a friend or whatever it might be. He had a pretty cool opportunity this, this weekend. He's checking off a bucket list item. One of the assistant coaches for the Indianapolis Colts is a friend of Seacoast. He's spoken at Seacoast men's events before. And he invited my dad, Greg, to go up to Indianapolis with Pastor Michael Morris and go to, Indianapolis is playing the Denver Broncos. Apparently the Broncos have a quarterback that used to play for Indianapolis or something like that. And so he was able to do their chapel uh, for the Colts. And so that was a pretty cool opportunity for him. And so y'all watch the game. It's on tonight, eight o'clock. And uh, see if you see Greg on the sidelines. But he's, he's having a great time. Texted this morning, said it was awesome. So he, he misses you guys, wishes he was here. But we're gonna, we're gonna do some Q&A. We're gonna have a fun weekend. I'm really excited about it. Uh, as your questions go, so the weekend goes. And so we're counting on you guys. Uh, normally we would say, pull your cell phones out and turn them off or silent them, you can still silence them, but take them out and be prepared to text in some questions. Uh, We've got some that you sent ahead of time uh, through our Facebook page, but we recognize that some people didn't get a chance to do that yet. You may have a question that currently is just on your heart, on your mind, you'd love to hear what God has to say about it. So we'd love for you to text those questions in while we're doing our service. There's a number on the screen, 843-375-6035. That's Pastor Josh Walter's cell phone number if you wanna write that down. I'm just kidding, it's not actually his cell phone number. But here's a couple of ground rules before we get the panel up here. One, um, our goal in this panel discussion is, A, we don't have experts on marriage or singleness or dating coming up. We have a couple of our pastors and our wives and and we hope to speak out of God's word. And so uh, that's our goal as you ask questions. If God's word speaks to something, then we're gonna tell you what his word says about it. Uh, If it doesn't, then we're gonna let you know that's an opinion. Uh, Here's some thoughts. God's word may may not be clear on this particular issue, but let me give you some maybe principles or guidelines or some experiences that we have. And so that's, that's our goal. What I would ask for all of us today uh, is there's one scripture that I think needs to be the underlying focus for every one of us as we go into a, a message with our questions. Because anytime we have a question for God, I think our posture towards God is very, very important. And so I want to read you guys a passage of scripture. It's in James uh, chapter 1, and it's verse 5 through 8. And here's what it says. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Now, when I usually read that verse, that's where I stop. Ask our generous God, he'll give it to you. Lord, I need wisdom on this issue, that issue, and I'll ask God and and wait and hope to receive something. But I think it's real important that we continue to read this verse. It says, he will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is being tossed with the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So, so what, what he's saying is, if we're going to hear from God, if we're going to genuinely come to him with our questions, we need to be focused on his word and not have a divided loyalty. So if, if, if we just have ears to hear what we want to hear, and, and often in counseling situations, that's what we have. We have people coming in, hoping to hear one nugget that, that lines up with what they already were hoping to, to hear. If that's our posture, we shouldn't expect to hear anything from the Lord today. But if we would come in and, and where our lives maybe 
contradicting the Bible or maybe contrasting with what the Bible says, something needs to change and it shouldn't be our interpretation of the Bible. It should be our lives. So that's my, my heart. That's my goal for you guys, all of us, that we would really seek his wisdom and not be divided in our loyalty, but we would go, Lord, whatever you want from me. I know that you are a good God. I know that you're a God that has great plans for my life. And so I wanna line my life up with your word and your principles. So that's fair enough. That's our underlying scripture. Now, would you wel- welcome the panel with me, Josh and Katie Walters and Lisa Surratt. Y'all join me to the stage. So uh, Josh is our campus pastor here at the Long Point campus and um, has been, been so for a couple of years. His wife, Katie, uh, they've been married for about 11 years and uh, she is on staff as well. Uh, and she has a master's degree in counseling and she serves in our encouragers ministry, which is really our counseling ministry here at the church. And then Lisa has been married to me and put up with me for 12 years. So she has a lot of good experience uh, <laughs> tough job. putting up with tough, tough characters. So we're excited to jump in. So um, speaking of jumping in, there was one thing I wanted to mention. Last night you kicked off the Q&A with a Carolina joke and I just yeah. thought it would be appropriate if I, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not going to talk rub about football. Rub it in, rub it in. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't guys. mentioning anything. I just wanted to yeah. Yeah. remind you of the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any volunteers to sit on the panel? Do we have anyone putting on the panel? Like, okay. We're going to vote you off the island here. Let's jump yeah. in. Let's jump in. First question, how do you keep falling in love? We all change from the person we were when we were first married. That's great. How do you keep falling in love? When I think about uh, Katie and I, this was a question that was posted on the Facebook page earlier in the week. When we first started dating, she was ridiculously attracted to me, and it was a challenge to keep our... (laughs) Katie, how have you kept that up? (laughs) So she was not. There was some heavy pursuit, but... uh, (laughs) <laughs> but I would say, even then, our love for one another was fun and, and flirty, uh, almost contagious, you know, to be around when there's somebody that's newly, you know, together and that feeling of being in love. The problem was at that point in our life, our relationship was void of any responsibility or struggle or yeah. children. You know, we were living in this shallow love bubble to where <laughs> it was still a decision, a choice that I was making to love her, but I was doing it subconsciously because I was so infatuated with her. And so the question being, once the newness wears off and you have to start making the decision to love, how do you keep that passion there? And I think the, the big thing for us to realize is that, that love really is a decision. There are some emotions when you first come together, some things that are happening internally, but when you look at Scripture, you know, a passage... All of us probably know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave uh, at just the right time while marriage, while parenting, while people's lives were so far from his initial plan, he made the decision to love. And so yeah. I would say first thing that you have to do in kind of keeping the love of life and, and having that feeling is make the decision that I'm going to work on it. You know, even when it gets hard, I'm going to model some behaviors. I'm going to pursue her. I'm going to do the things that I did in the beginning and helping bring those behaviors about. And there's many of you here that model that for us, that have been married for years. One couple that comes to mind is Vern and Migsy Jensen. We have a picture of them. We'll need a collective. Oh, oh. <laughs> They're in their 80s. And uh, Pastor Vern's an elder here. He was on staff for a long time. And uh, a lot of the things that they do to keep their love alive probably aren't appropriate to mention from a stage. <laughs> Uh, but one story that I love is they swim together a few times a week. And I'm not much of a swimmer uh, or a floater for that matter, but 
um, <laughs> what they'll do instead of, you know, there's eight, ten lanes in a swimming pool. You can tell I don't know much about it. But uh, instead of each getting their own lane and working the, their deal, they'll swim in the same lane together so that when they pass each other, Vern can pat her on the bottom. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so, TMI. if you're wondering how do you keep the love alive in your 80s, you look at your spouse the same way that you did in a bathing suit when you first started dating. Choose to swim in the same lane and pat her on the bottom wow. when she goes by. As a, no, uh, I can remember, I think it was our first marriage retreat that we went on. Pastor Vernon and Migsy shared, and they shared that they take a shower together every day. I think that probably is helpful. I know you, <laughs> I know you didn't want to hear that today. I didn't want to hear that when I heard it either. <laughs> But accidentally, you're probably going to keep the which level is a good, if you do Which that. is a good baseline for how this panel is going to go. Some things can't be unheard. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's true. So if you need to leave right now, you're welcome to. Let's move on. Wow. Do you think couples or couples-to-be should all have marital or premarital counseling? Yes. Yes. <laughs> couples that are going to get married, I guess, is the question. So yeah. I, I mean, I... I totally agree with that. And we, yeah. we kind of have that stance already as a church. I mean, if one of our pastors is going to marry a couple, they ask for them to be able to go through premarital counseling. And I just know for us, I mean, there was things revealed in our premarital counseling that, that was... That Katie really had to work on. <laughs> that it was... Uh... I did. I mean, I'll never forget the pastor, honestly. He even was able to reveal some things to us that we couldn't see because of that love bubble that you're talking about. You know, yeah. there's, there's personality differences in the two of you and things that are going to come up that... I just feel like our premarital counseling was so helpful for us to be able to look back on, you know, even though we would leave being like, that's not going to be us. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to struggle with any of that. Yeah. But when we did, we were able to look back on that counseling time. So, yeah. And I think our process is really neat how we use a program that asks a lot of questions um, that really, mm -hmm. you know, you take the test separately. And so um, it reveals some things that are, that maybe you thought you agreed about, uh, that you were on the same page about, and um, you've come to find out that maybe you're not. And so having mm -hmm. the opportunity to sit with a counselor and work through some of those things before you get married is really helpful. Yep. Great. And then after you're married, yes, uh, you yes. should continue to make counseling a priority Great. for your, yourselves. I know uh, we'll probably get into more of that, but it's, it's just important that we always maintain a posture of openness and wanting to, to work on things and, and to communicate about things and get through challenges and struggles that go through. So let's move on. How long should you know someone before you start to date? And this is two for the price of one here. Somebody got two questions in. <laughs> should Christians only date other Christians? Think of that first one. How long should you know someone before you start to date? It's really a matter of, uh, you know, what is the purpose of dating? And if if the purpose of dating is to find a lifelong mate, then I would say, you know, until you can answer the question, can I spend the rest of my life with this person? I know mm -hmm. some couples here in our church that, uh, you know, started dating after a couple months and were married within the year that are strong and healthy and some uh, that were engaged for over a year and dated for many years, you know, before mm -hmm. they got married. So I would say if you're going into the relationship with the intention of I'm looking for a partner I can spend the rest of my life with as soon as you can answer that question. Yeah, I would agree. And, and just say also, you know, you're trying to discover kind of two basic things. One is their heart for the Lord. And two is their character. And I know for our first date, Josh picked me up and 
can I share this? But I have he, no idea what you're about to say. <laughs> our very first date, he, um, he prayed over us before we left. Then he took me to an African-American church revival and had me a chocolate chip cookie, which those three things like were totally the way to my heart for the rest of our life, actually. So if I still have a bad day, I'm like, that would be the date I would choose. But I knew that moment. You know, See, so. that brings up a good point for me, though, because we are always the best version of ourselves on that first date, right? Uh, you know, that's why I, <laughs> I know that guy, and that's not John Paul. <laughs> no, it is. But, but the truth is, that takes us to our second question. Should Christians <laughs> only date non-Christians? Because I've moved back, started here at College of Charleston, went oh, back God. to USC and Columbia, knew that, man, I just was not strong enough in my faith to walk through it alone. And so I was looking for a godly woman, and I started hearing about Katie. And she was so hardcore in her faith that if she would go out on a date and the dude didn't have a quiet time or wasn't going to church, she'd straight up ask him to take her home. And so I had done my homework on her a little bit. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I, that's a good question that I know a lot of you may be wrestling with. Should I date someone? Should I marry someone who's not? And, and that's one that the Bible speaks to pretty clearly on it. So I just want to share uh, scripture. 2 Corinthians six fourteen says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Um, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And, and what that verse is saying, what does it mean to be yoked together with unbelievers? It's not language that we use a lot today. But it would refer to a, a double yoke when, when there would be two oxen that would be plowing a field together. They'd be double yoked together. And so the goal would be to plow that field together. And if, if one was stronger than the other or one was weaker than the other, then you weren't going to get the, the job done right. And, yeah. and I've seen so many times in, in marriage and especially in dating, uh, if, you can, if you can kind of wrestle this down before you get married, it's going to save you a lot of heartache. Not saying that one is better than the other, that you're, you're a better person than the other person, but you don't want to be walking around in circles spiritually by being unequally yeah. yoked to someone who, who's not a believer. And so I would say that applies to whether that person would call themselves, you know, a, a, a Muslim, Mormon, agnostic, Jehovah's Witness. I think one of the questions that came in ahead of time was someone who is dating a Jehovah's Witness. And I would even stretch that to say someone who calls themselves a Christian. The question is, are they a follower of Christ? Are they living a relationship mm -hmm. with Jesus? And if, if they're not, then you want to be real careful about moving into a relationship with them long term. Uh, yeah. think, think to the future, like raising kids together. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to need to be on the same page on this. And, and if we're not, we're sending mixed messages to our kids. Hmm. It's going to be confusing. It's, gonna, it's just going to be challenging uh, in, yeah. in, in that relationship. And so I would just encourage you to, to make that hard choice now. Uh, then I'm just not going to be unequally yoked uh, because God's word says so. so. Yeah. Let's move on. How do I get my husband to want to join me at church? I hate going alone. Hmm. You know, that question alone is enough kind of to, to clarify and answer the previous question. And, and what I would say to those of you that are married to someone who's not a believer, that covenant of marriage supersedes anything I said prior to. If you're married, whether you got married and then became a believer and your spouse wasn't or, or however you got to that point, you need to remain committed to that relationship. And the Bible speaks yeah. to that too. But I, I wanted to ask, this is one that came in ahead of time. Pastor Sam Leskey and his wife Joan up at the Dream Center in North Charleston, this was their story. And so I asked them to briefly share their experience. And so take a look at this video real quick. Well, we moved here to Charleston when my kids were young and I had no family, no friends. And I met this woman on the playground. I call she, her, the woman we met on the playground, I call her the crazy lady, because she was just too happy. She was not and crazy. Too, <laughs> too full of joy. 
She was, she befriended me. She, um, after a while, she invited me to a Bible study and they had childcare. And so I'm thinking, I can learn a little bit about God. I grew up Catholic. And so anyway, I go to this small group and um, it's on how to be a good wife. And at this point, I am not the best wife. I wasn't that nice. And so anyway, um, so I started implementing some things. Um, I started um, having dinner on the table. I started his, having slippers by the door. And, and he'd look at me like I was crazy, but I was being nice and patient with my kids. So the crazy lady from Seacoast was rubbing <laughs> off on her, uh, taking her to Bible study, teaching her to pray, teaching her to read the Bible, uh, and teaching her have a, how to have a godly attitude. Um, and so finally I asked him to go to church, and um, that was not an easy task. And so he went once, and then... <laughs> I seen the change in my wife, and I knew okay. that obviously what Seacoast was doing and what church was doing and what God was doing in my wife's life was major and it was a great thing it was great to see the joy in our house the joy in our kids uh, so I knew that I had to come along and, and see where this was coming from uh, and it was not an easy task it was hard he was tough and so but I kept being consistent with him I kept just trying to I pray and I wouldn't look I look, wouldn't watch the soap operas I just pray to God and <laughs> so anyway I just um, and God answered my prayers, but it did take a process. It was a process. So I encourage you, you know, ladies out there who, who need to get your husbands to church, I just encourage you, you know, to, to pray, to read the word, and to just live it out at home. Live it out before your husband. And, and I don't mean for a week or, or two weeks, but be consistent and just live it out. Go above and beyond. If, if you want drastic change, then take drastic measures. And uh, I'm so thankful for Joan for, for taking those drastic measures, for making that change, uh, and for leading our family in a walk with God uh, where we could be a part of a great church and great small groups and uh, just continue to serve God. That's awesome. So put food on the table, slippers at the door, you know. I do want to talk with Sammy about that. I never would have imagined him to be a slippers, <laughs> slippers guy. Someone up at the Dream Center, talk with him about that for us. I'd love to hear it. No, but it is true. I mean, I think honestly when we as women just come alongside of our husbands and we serve them and we show them the love of Christ in our actions, it makes such a difference. First um, Peter 3, 1 through 2 says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Nobody wants Jesus shoved down their throats. Kindness leads to repentance. Yeah, good. good stuff. All right, let's move on. Next question. When you encounter a physically and mentally abusive husband, does God frown at us for giving up and walking away? I want to save my daughter and myself from living in a hostile home. She deserves better. Am I wrong for divorcing and moving on? Hmm. Wow. I want to speak to that because I, you know, I work with um, a lot of women who've gone through abuse and in a different setting, but um, God, that is not God's best for you. And we are all about preserving marriage. We believe God is all about uh, fighting for your marriage. But if you are in an abusive situation where you are in danger or your family's in danger, that's not God's design. And it's broken. 
And so I encourage you, get the help that you need. <laughs> Find the help that you need because there's help out there. You don't have to stay in a place where you are being abused. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and what I would say, uh, get, get out now and I'm, uh, talk about the divorce thing later. Like right now, mm -hmm. you just need to remove yourself from that situation. Mm -hmm. You need to get the help. And this is a question that came in this morning. Uh, and so what I would say is if you're here at any of our campuses, come talk to us right after service. Mm -hmm. We would love to connect you with the resources that you need. And so I'll be hanging out out here, Pastor Joshua, at any of our campuses, our campus pastors will. We, we're here for you to help you through that environment. You're not going to walk through that alone. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we can connect you to some resources that would be helpful. So uh, thank you for your honesty in that question. We'd love to uh, come alongside you. Let's, yeah. let's move on. What's the difference between courtship and dating? Specifically, when does the boyfriend have to call the girlfriend's dad? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, we actually, Josh, you did call my mom. Do you remember that? Um, when you called my mom to say, I'll never forget, like he called my mom and we had been kind of dating or seeing each other for a while and he said, Miss Debbie, I got a girlfriend. And she said, well, I hope it's my daughter. And so I don't know that it went exactly like that. But, you know, I would just say the posture of the question is so beautiful of just asking about courtship because I yeah. feel like they're, they're dating with the end in mind of marriage and of a, a life together. And that's so beautiful and different in our culture. And yeah. so I feel like it really speaks to kind of the Lord's involvement in their relationship. Yeah, that's good. Um. As to when does the boyfriend have to call the girlfriend's dad, I would say before you invest in a ring is the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the guidance there. That's good. As for courtship and dating, you know, I would say like going out on a date, uh, in terms of language, you know, biblically, you don't see a, a model necessarily for, for either, but I would say for dating, you know, if you're going out to eat, going out to a movie, if you would call that a date, courtship being after you've kind of defined the relationship to say, hey, these are my intentions, uh, I could see myself spending the rest of my life with you. But with the, uh, the second question, I would say it's so important. And culturally, I don't know if it's, if it's a norm anymore. But for mm -hmm. honoring uh, your, your girlfriend's parents, I would say it is crucial. It's going to be a game changer, game over, if any boy ever tries to walk up in my house, you know, <laughs> without having this conversation uh, at the yeah. right point. So I would say, man, as soon as you, you know, guys, I think it's time to make that decision uh, you've started looking at rings, you know, I would have the conversation with dad quickly to just lay your intentions out there and ask for his permission. Yeah, that's good. My brother-in-law, Ben, actually had that conversation before he took my sister, Jenny, out on her first date, uh, which is not like, I mean, that's just crazy, like over-the-top mm -hmm. honoring, but I yeah. can tell you, um, he's the favorite son-in-law. Sorry, John. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Can a single person remain single and never marry? Uh, we talked about this in the first week of the series. Second uh, Corinthians 7 uh, gives an allowance for that, sh for sure. So I would say yes, if, that's, if God's called you to be single, if that's something that you feel like he's, he's given you a gi the gift of singleness, then absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. There's no, uh, th that's a good thing. That, that's mm -hmm. a great thing, actually. I, I thank God for the single people in our church and in our community that, that uh, plays such a vital role in what God's doing here. And so um, I would say if, if you're not burning up with lust, uh, which is what scripture says, then yeah, absolutely mm -hmm. you can remain single and, and never marry. And that's a, a great 
great colleague. Mm -hmm. So agree, and I would add to that to you know to realize your position in sharpening married couples. You know, two of my closest friends are single. One's a recent widow, and one's um, a divorced woman. And there is no two women who have sharpened me more in my marriage than them. So this family was made for each other. You know, so to know that we need each other in all those different walks and seasons of life. Awesome. Yeah. Next question. You guys are asking good questions, by the way. It's strong. I know sex before marriage is wrong, but is it wrong to do anything else? <laughs> <laughs> nope. You could go bowling, go to the park, <laughs> <laughs> go to movies together. <laughs> uh, there you go. There's lots of things that's you strong. That's, I just want to leave it there. I mean, that could be... <laughs> you know, this question speaks to the how far is too far, and if you're dating somebody, you're engaged to somebody, you've wrestled with this question. I hope you have anyways. Um, and I think about, like, back at youth camp, I remember learning about the baseball diamond. You know, you got first base, second base, third base. And uh, you're if gonna, you were you're Baptist... Gonna, you're going to go You're gonna go there. I'm going there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if you were Baptist, first base would have been, like, holding hands interlocked, you know? Like, that's, that's a big move. If you were more progressive, maybe it was a little further than that. <laughs> I never understood the heavy petting thing, though. Like, I still don't okay. get that. Is that appropriate? <laughs> but, <laughs> apparently not. That's Lisa's favorite. So here's, here's my deal with that. Uh, I'm a competitive guy, and so if I'm coming up to the plate, my intention is to, to score. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm happy with a healthy on-base percentage. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> this is de deteriorating fast, fast. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that, okay? God created sex. It's a gift. He made it. It's good. And it was not, a, it was not something that was created to, to be stopped three quarters of the way into it. You know, and so if, if you're setting a boundary that's, that's you know, you, you've already awakened the giant, if you will. You've already kind of gotten things moving in the wrong direction. You don't want to set a boundary. You'll feel like you've got one foot on the gas pedal, one foot on the brakes. And I know we felt like that a lot in our, our relationship, you know, just trying to figure out what is this boundary? What is the line? And and I remember she eventually had met a couple that had decided they weren't going to kiss before they were married and came back, like, with this story. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? This is terrible. Okay. So, uh, basically, we were really struggling. We were, um, had been dating. We met when I was 16. And we were so young. And um, we had been dating for a couple years. We got engaged, again, very young. And, um, and we were engaged for 17 months uh, because I did not want to get married super young, which I was anyway, but, um, but I remember during that process just thinking like, you know, we're a stumbling block to each other. Like we, we really have got to figure this out. And so I had gone on a trip with some girlfriends, met this couple that was just, just a really neat couple. They were a really, um, cool couple. They weren't like, you know, I don't know, just the, well, I won't go there, but, um, essentially I just was like, okay, why do I just feel so drawn to this couple? Why do I feel like, maybe God is going to use this couple in my life. And so um, I had a quiet time, and I just really felt like the Lord was saying, like, you know, you guys are struggling to the point where you need to do something drastic. Um, if you are really going to run towards sexual purity in this relationship, and you really want my blessing. And so I um, came home, and I told him, I was like, oh, this couple um, was really cool. And, you know, actually during that quiet time, I had just, you know, I felt like the Lord said, um, you know, if you're going to stop kissing you need to have him be the one who is leading in it. And I thought, well, I'm safe there because there's no way that's, that's going right. to happen. <laughs> and so I came home and told him, and he, he literally said, well, that's not for us. 
And so I thought, well, I'm off the hook. And so That's spiritual leadership right there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I will never forget, two months later, it was a first Wednesday, and we were riding in the car, and I, I continued praying, like, Lord, if you really want this, like, he's going to have to lead in it. And I left the topic alone. And we were riding to first Wednesday, and right before we got out of the car, he said, I don't know why, but I cannot shake this. I really feel like the Lord is saying, we need to stop kissing until we get married. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I, I thought I was off the hook on this one. You know what she actually said was, can we start tomorrow? Like, can we start? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But honestly, we did. We made a commitment that night um, for the next, we weren't getting married for nine months that we were not going to kiss. And um, it, it took a drastic measure for us to really mm -hmm. be committed to sexual purity. And honestly, during that nine months, we grew so much as a couple. We grew so much in just learning how to do, to sort of uh, manage conflict. You can't just kiss and make up. You really have to talk and work through things. And we just grew so much. Yeah, that's good. And it's not a legalistic thing just because that's what God was calling us to. Doesn't mean that's what he's calling mm -hmm. you to. But I think the biblical principle at play is that the Bible says we should flee from sexual immorality. Uh, sex before marriage mm -hmm. is sexual immorality. We, we need to flee from that, not get as close to it as we can without being in sin. And so uh, we need to run towards purity, run away from sexual immorality. So the question I would ask you, if you're kind of single, dating, engaged, are you running towards purity or are you running towards immorality? And just evaluate that and, and then go, Lord, where, where are you calling us to, to draw a line so that we would not even get close? Usually when we're saying is it wrong if I do this? I would say 90% of the time it probably is. Whether the Bible says so or not, you're probably yeah. wrestling with maybe conviction that, that the Holy Spirit's bringing on you. So. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> last night we spent some time on this question, and I feel like it's such an important one for us because it's something that, that every couple is going to walk through at one point or another. And uh, it's an opportunity that we have to be a light in the darkness. You know, it's, it's a common ground for the church and the world that people are in dating relationships. And whether it's in your neighborhood or your workplace, they're looking at you to say, how is she going to walk through this? How is he going to yeah. walk through this? So the opportunity that we have to run towards purity uh, is, is critical here to set an example for believers. First Timothy yeah. four twelve says um, that do not let people look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. And so it's just, just critical here that we understand mm -hmm. the, the opportunity that we have. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's move on. Next question. I want to know if God will bless a relationship if a couple not married has sinned together physically. I know waiting is the best, but if we made a mistake, will God not bless us being together? Hmm. And for this question, I would say, you know, Scripture is very clear that there is nothing that you could do to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. That there's no sin that, that you have committed, no lifestyle that you're living in, nothing that you could do uh, that he wouldn't look at with eyes of forgiveness and mm -hmm. sinning together physically you know scripture speaks too clearly because our body is the temple of the holy spirit the spirit lives in us so when we sin physically we grieve his spirit but absolutely uh he will forgive you, you know scripture says every day his mercies are made new so not only will he forgive you but he'll separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west mm -hmm. you think about a guy like david who committed adultery he was not only forgiven but separated from his sin to where he was he's known as a man after yeah. God's own heart, or Peter who denied Christ 
wasn't known as the disciple who, not, who denied Christ, but as a cornerstone on which Christ would build his church. So, so I would say absolutely, today is a new day, and it can be for you as well. So if this has been a pattern for you, if you've struggled physically or with any behavior or addiction or sin for that matter, that, that you can start fresh today, walk out forgiven, and, and awesome. know that blessing follows obedience. So whatever you've done, if you choose to draw a line in the sand today moving forward, there's blessing in store for you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I totally agree with that. The, the posture is wanting his blessing. And, you know, the great thing about our God is he can't help but blessing uh, his children. You know, he loves us so much. And it says in Acts 3, to repent of your sins, they'll be washed away in a time of refreshment mm-hmm. will come upon you um, from the Lord. And I feel like that's been true of our story. You know, in repentance, God has just poured out a time of refreshment on us and as his children. And that is just a God worth coming to in obedience for. You know, he loves us so very much. And yeah that's awesome I love it because it's not just that question it's it's the heart of God that's the gospel Mm -hmm. is that we all need Jesus you know we're we're not perfect Mm -hmm. we're going to fall short of the glory of God and and the wages of sin is death and so that's not to say that there won't necessarily be consequences if 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 we fall short but but he's willing to bless us he's willing to wipe our sins away and so love love Mm -hmm. the question let's move on how do you restore trust in marriage once it's been broken and this is such an important one because really, um, you know, I think it's one that when you're newly married, you think, well, that'll never be us. You know, we'll never have to work towards that. But honestly, whether it's something big or that would be perceived as big, like a betrayal or affair or something of that nature, or, you know, shifting money around from the grocery budget to buy a shirt, not that I have a testimony or anything <laughs> Come on. on that, never without, would without telling your spouse Sure. You know, this this question, uh, again, I I appreciate this question. And I'll just tell you, when I read through the questions that we got ahead of time, my heart just broke for our church and some of the questions that you're wrestling with. And so I feel like obviously we won't get to all of them, but thank you for for submitting honest questions because it really helps us to kind of know how to pray for you and how to to shepherd you. But but this is one that hits home for for Lisa and I because we did walk through a situation in our, our marriage where trust was broken. Uh, we've been married for 12 years now, and uh, in year two of our marriage, uh, we were young. I think I was about 23 years old, and, and up, to, up to getting married, I'd been up front with Lisa about almost everything, and the key word there is almost everything. You know, I had, had a pretty strong testimony of things that God had delivered me out of, alcohol, drugs, some of that stuff, and uh, pre- previous relationships uh, with women, and, and I'd been very upfront about those things, but one thing that I hadn't been upfront with her about was that I had a struggle, an addiction to pornography that I'd never talked to her about. And when we talked about lust going into marriage, it would be very um, general in terms. Oh, yeah, every guy struggles a little bit with that. And, yeah, you got to bounce your eyes. And, you know, it's kind of talk around the issue, but never really got to, hey, this is actually a current issue that every now and then I'll struggle with. And so two years into our marriage, uh, she found it on, on, the, on the computer. And I remember I was out with some friends and got a phone call, and it was just like, you could feel the heaviness in her voice that mm-hmm. I, you need to come home. And I came home, and, and for her, I know um, her whole world was shattered. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the Bible says that Jesus said that uh, we shouldn't, if we lust with our eyes, we've already committed adultery in our heart. And I think that we really felt the weight of that in that, that moment. And uh, so trust was broken. I mean, I had lied to you. I hadn't been honest with you. And, and that began a very difficult process, probably about a year, mm-hmm. year and a half worth of process of just really learning how to, how to deal with it. And I think the first thing that we learned through that, and I'll at least share some on it, is 
you need to get help with that. You, you don't need to walk through that alone. Mm-hmm. Everything in me when this became an issue in our marriage was to hide it, to protect it. I had already been, I was an intern at the church. I'd already felt like I was going into ministry. This isn't something you can, like, you can't deal with this in ministry. You're mm-hmm. supposed to have your act together. So I, I pleaded with her, let's not talk to anybody about this. Let's just, we can deal with this. We can, and that was so wrong. That was so the enemy. He wants to isolate us in our mm-hmm. sin. And so we ended up, I remember one night fighting about this and just wrestling with this uh, at a, just gut-wrenching level, and at about six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, finally I picked up the phone. I actually had looked through the phone book to look for, like, who's someone that I can call that won't know me, won't whatever, and finally I called one of our pastors, called Jerry McSwain, said, Jerry, I need to talk to you. Can, can we come over? So at six o'clock in the morning, we went over to Pastor Jerry and Lana's house, and we just spilled our guts, wept before them. We were there all day, uh, and they, they really were a turning point in helping us begin to learn how to how to deal with it, how to deal with the repentance side that I needed to do, the, the, the really coming clean with it, and then the restoring trust side with Lisa. So Yeah, and you know, I, I just remember um, so many emotions going through. It was almost like I had grieved this person that I thought he was. And I, you know, I think the enemy had planted so much in my mind that like, he's choosing to do this. And this is, you know, and so I went through anger and just sadness and just so much. It just felt so heavy um, just because I felt like I, what, was there more? Did I miss something? I just felt blindsided. And, um, and honestly, walking through counseling and being able to, to sit down and just say, like, this is how I'm feeling. I, here it is. It's ugly. And um, I don't know. I feel like in the depths, I don't even know, like, you know, is this going to pull us apart or, or what's going to happen? And I remember um, Pastor Jerry and also Pastor Michael both just walking through this with us and really, you know, one, challenging you to get the accountability that you need, which they both were like, I'm going to stand next to you and I'm going to call you every single day and we are going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, just to know that he was really after, I mean, he was totally broken. I've never seen him more broken. And... Um, I think just knowing that he was in a place where God was really, I mean, we're talking about the ugliest part of you, and, you know, I felt like I knew you all except this ugly part, and I think that... um, That's where really trust for me came into play. Like, could I trust Mm -hmm. Lisa with the worst parts of me? Mm -hmm. Because I I, I clearly didn't think I could. I didn't think I could trust anyone with it, and certainly would never think I'd be talking about it to, to you guys, but... It was such a powerful journey, though. I remember about a year or so after that. And, and the trust, re- restoring trust is just, it's messy. I mean, there needs to be a lot of give and take. Like, she need like, if, if there's been a betrayal of any sort, whether it's an affair, pornography, lying, there needs to be an openness. Like, so I had to open my life up to her. You have every password that I have. You have, you need to be checking my, my files. You need, we have a, a, a policy where we're not going to delete anything. It's all there so that she can be checking it. And so for a long time, she would constantly be checking it. But I think over time, she realized this is not healthy for me. And, and I can remember the time where um, we were at a first Wednesday mm-hmm. and God had just sort of, it been a year or so after it, sort of gone, this is a time to put a line in the sand. Like we need to bury this issue. And so we went home that night and I remember she wrote down on a piece of paper, three things, mistrust, uh, I think anxiety. There were a few things that you were dealing with that were all related to that. And, mm-hmm. and we got a shovel, we dug a hole in our backyard mm-hmm. And we literally buried 
this stuff in, in, in the ground. And it was like, this is a, a moment where God just sort of went, you know what? It's not that we'll never deal with mistrust again, but, but it's over. Like yeah. we're, we're bearing this. We're going to move back into a, a healthy place. And, and I can say from, from having her support, having the support of accountability, it's been 10 years that this has not been an issue in our marriage at all. Yeah. And so if you're here and you're dealing with it, maybe that's a, an area of bondage or, or there's an affair, get it into the light. Mm-hmm. You're not going to yeah. overcome it if you don't bring it into the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says that when we confess our sins, we can be healed. And, and a lot of times we think we got to hold on to this on our own, and, and, and that's the only way that we're going to get through it. And, and it's the opposite. Satan would want to isolate you in that. And so yeah. bring it in the light. It's ugly. It's painful. Uh, but it's the best thing that probably could have happened for our marriage. Absolutely. I would have, you know, I would do it all over again. I, I will say just for, you know, any wife who is walking through this kind of thing, it is a conscious choice to get on your husband's team to be, mm-hmm. to get behind him, to recognize the plans of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time when there is an addiction involved, you have to see him as wrapped in chains and you have to go after the enemy, not after him because he is going to be, you know, the enemy wants to divide you. He is after to destroy your marriage. And so I would just say, you know, if there's a repentant heart, then get behind him and and support him and help walk through this. And you've mm-hmm. got to, to sort of act your way into a feeling because I can tell you, I didn't feel like I could trust him. I had to choose to trust him. Yeah, yeah. that's good. And last thing is that trust doesn't get restored without time, time and obedience. Mm-hmm. Like she had to check yeah. enough times <clears throat> and find a clean history file in order for trust to begin to be restored. And so men or women who had the, the betraying yeah. party you just have to live it out. Like you have to live out a transparent life in front of your, your spouse and that trust will come over time. So yeah. uh, a great question. One more thing there that you would probably agree with is that you're, an important thing to remember whenever trust has been broken is that you're not trying to get back to a place that you once were, yep. but you're trying to build towards mm-hmm. a deeper oh, yeah. love that's much mm-hmm. more mature, much more you know, yeah. fresh and intimate. So yeah. think oftentimes in those moments when you can invite your, your spouse on a new adventure, you know, like... And our weakness, his power is made perfect. This mm-hmm. is the deepest, darkest, most painful place. But out of it, man, God yeah. can build something yeah. new. And yeah. and it is true. I feel like on the other side of it, God has done so much through our marriage. And, and honestly, we've walked with couples who are going through the same thing. And God has used it for his glory. Yeah. That's awesome. Listen, let's do one more question. We've got time for one more. Um, how do you balance couple time versus individual time? My spouse <laughs> thinks we should do all caps. <laughs> Everything All caps. together. I think that it's not healthy for us. <laughs> Josh, did you text this question in? <laughs> Josh, uh, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. And I do think, you know, um, biblically, I would say the, the danger for us, like if I look back on our relationship, there is yeah. this mystery that happens in two people coming together and, and becoming one. And uh, you can early on, I think it's important to have a break and, and learn what does this look like, but there's no question. Uh, I don't want to be Katie's girlfriend. I'm glad she has Lisa, Jenna, some girlfriends as accountability partners. Um, I need her to be my lover, you know, if you will. And so all things, I want her to be a recreational companion. I want her to be my friend and buddy, but, uh, but I think it's important that we have some space, you know, um, I wouldn't, yeah. I'd say it's probably different for every couple. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I was going to say that. You need to know your spouse. You yeah, know? and I think just speaking um, as someone whose love language is quality time, 
the, the other question is, is the time that you are spending together, is it quality time? Yeah. Because someone with a love language of quality time, you got rules around that. Like, okay, if you're sitting there looking at your phone, this ain't quality time. If easy, we're sitting here. Easy now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I am great with him having guys nights and doing things, you know, without me. Um, but if I haven't had any quality time in weeks, there's an issue. Yeah. So yeah. just doing, you know, whatever, kids and dinner and just the normal routine is great, but it's still, we need time one-on-one. -on -one. We need good. to go on a date. We need to connect. That's good. That's well, hey, would you help me appreciate the panel? I was just, I hope it's been helpful for you. As we kind of close, first of all, I would encourage you, uh, check out the podcast. We'll probably keep all three services up because they've, the two that we've done so far have been so different um, already. And so if you have questions that weren't answered, you may want to text them in for the next service. We'll be happy to, uh, we're, we're going to do this all over again. And it's been fun because it's been very fresh and different. But I wanted to kind of wrap up with a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first one is this. It's God loves you desperately. He really does. He loves us desperately. You know, and, and I don't know where you are if you came in knowing that, believing that. Uh, understanding that or not, but you need to know that. When, it talks, when we talk about relationships, when we talk about how we interact with each other, how we interact in our singleness or whatever, uh, you just need to know that, that God is desperately in love with you. He cares about you so much. Secondly, blessing follows obedience. You know, a lot of these questions were related to, you know, uh, the, the single question or the dating question of how far is too far, or how do I restore trust in marriage, is that if, we've, if we will submit our lives to God's word, to God's principles, blessing typically follows obedience. And I think about the story of Josiah, uh, one of the Old Testament kings, and he, he was leading the nation of Israel. He didn't know the word of God, and, and during his reign, they discovered the, the scripts, the, the, the scrolls, the word of God. And, and in discovering that, one of the priests read the word of God to him, and the Bible says that he, when he heard the word of God and he saw the way that he was leading lined up against God's word, that he, he tore his clothes, that he mourned, over his sin. And I would just encourage you, wherever God might be placing a finger on you, the Holy Spirit might be kind of pressing in on an area of your life, be obedient. Walk in obedience in that area. Blessing follows obedience. And then lastly, there's grace for when we mess up. There's grace for when we mess up. Every one of us has made mistakes. And I hope that uh, if you walk out of here feeling condemned, if you walk out of here fe feeling discouraged, guilty, shame, those are things that are brought on by the enemy. Those are things not, not brought on by God. If we will bring our sin into the light, if we'll confess it, there's grace. There's always grace. That's what Jesus came for. That's why he died for our sins. So uh, appreciate your, your, your questions. Appreciate your transparency in asking them. And I hope we were able to be transparent in answering them. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you for every person that's in a Seacoast campus today. Lord, whether we're single, whether we're dating, Lord, whether we are going through a tough breakup right now, whether we're in a, in a marriage that's strong or in a marriage that's struggling, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just meet us right where we are. Lord, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt your love for us. Lord, your love is deep, your love is wide. There, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And you paid a huge price for every single one of us. As Pastor Jeff said in week two of this series, we are your masterpiece. You've created us with great intentionality and I pray, Lord, that none of us would leave here not knowing that. And God, I pray, Lord, that our relationships would be a reflection of your grace. 
Lord, that when people see Seacoasters and the way that we interact with each other in our marriages and our, our, any relationship, that, that people would see something different than what the world is offering. Lord, that you would come alongside, you would give us the strength, you would give us the power, you'd give us the passion for purity, the passion, the, the, the love, the, the agape love that you have for us, that it would be manifest in our relationships and that people would see a clear reflection of who you are. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing today in Jesus' name. Amen.